Hey boys and girls, this is Don, the Great Southern Brain Fart. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Blowing Wind with the Great Southern Brain Fart podcast. This podcast has been an absolute blast for me, and I hope you all have been enjoying it as well. Do you have a favorite episode? Do you have a favorite couple of episodes? Hell, do you love them all? The best way you can let me know is by leaving a comment or a review over at iTunes or on whatever platform you are listening to the podcast on. I'd really love to hear from you. Be sure to check out the website at www.brainfartinterviews.com and check in with me. This is something I really want to see grow and I want this to become your podcast as much as it is mine. So thanks again for all your support. Thanks again for listening and please spread the word. Hey there, boys and girls, and welcome to episode 20 of Blowing Wind with the Great Southern Brain Fart. This episode's going to be quite a surprise for y'all because it's not a heavy metal episode. It's not a hard rock episode. It's not even a psychedelic rock episode. But today, we're going to be talking to what I consider to be a modern jazz icon. 22 years ago, a friend of mine came running into my workplace and said, Don... I heard your new favorite band at the 99X radio station. She handed me an autographed poster and a CD by a band called Once Blue. I had to work that night, so I missed their performance at Smith's Old Bar, and to this day, it's one of the biggest regrets of my life. Before there was the multi-platinum selling Nora Jones, there was a collaborative jazz act out of New York City called Once Blue. Once Blue featured the singer-songwriter duo of Jesse Harris and Rebecca Martin. The band released one album and toured with everyone from Squeeze to Emmylou Harris. After the split of Once Blue, Rebecca went on to release six amazing solo albums and an album with the jazz trio Tillery, which featured Becca Stevens, now of David Crosby's band. Rebecca has stayed alive and vibrant in the jazz world, and this year she announced the release of a live Once Blue performance from 1996 at the Handlebar in South Carolina. I'm really psyched to have Rebecca Martin right here on Blowing Wind with the Great Southern Brain Fart so that we can talk about this and whatever the hell she else wants to talk about. Rebecca Martin, welcome to my show called Blowing Wind with the Great Southern Brain Fart. <laughs> Thank you, Don. Great to be with you. So you are the first non-hard rock, rock, metal person that I've had on the podcast. And this is a really exciting thing for me because um, most people that know me know that I have a very broad palette of uh, taste when it comes to music and I have a long long standing history with Once Blue being a fan for many years <laughs> and, uh, well, thank you. and of course Once Blue is one of the greatest regrets of my life because I never got to see you live <laughs> and so with this live well, album this new recording is going to be something that you'll enjoy then for sure well, and that's why I put it out because you know we we were making we were busy in the 1990s um, and 
you know, people were filming to some degree, but not to the extent that or they were recording, too. There were lots of people um, who might record concerts to have, you know, a document of the bands that they loved. But today, of course, you know, everybody's filming something, or rather on their phones or what have you. And, you know, it, it's a little problematic, but... At the same time, it's nice to have documentation. And, and me, myself being such a history buff, I do appreciate historical documents. And we were um, working on a part of our home, and, and I came across a box of old bats and um, found this live performance of Once Blue, which for those who are not familiar with it, it's, it's a group that I was a part of um, and maybe some of your listeners, maybe most of them aren't familiar with my work. I don't know. But it was a band that I was in with Jesse Harris. He and I were the principals of Once Blue, and he's a another singer-songwriter. And at the time, it was a, it was a, an int- a great time in New York City with a lot of the young, great jazz musicians that, that we all have come to love today or of a very specific generation um, with Kurt Rosenwinkel, Kenny Wallison, and uh, um, Ben Street, though on the recording we were accompanied by a drummer named Bill Dobrow. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to find, and it was a really special performance, uh, the handlebar in um, down in the Carolinas that we all just are so fond of. We still all of us remember it. So when I was putting this together and talking to everyone who was, you know, in the band at the time, we all recall it. And we reached out to the to the record store who still had the poster from 1996. That's amazing. Just, I know. So <laughs> wow. it was really meant to be, it was meant to come out. And um, yeah, the, the, the poster is, is um, it has been incorporated into the artwork you know of the of the of the uh physical cd so it's there and um it's just really great to have so i hope that you and everyone who decides to give it a whirl will enjoy it well it's so funny that you, you that you said what you were talking about like about how people might not be familiar with you with your work or whatever um it's it, it's you know, I grew up being a heavy metal fan for many, many years, but I also grew up in a very musical home, you know, like I grew up in a place where like, you know, my dad would, you know, my dad would spin an Iron Butterfly album, but then he would turn around and put on John Coltrane and then he would put on Crosby, Stills and Nash, but then he would put on, you know, like Love and Spoonful, you know, so like by the time I got to be a teenager, even though I was very well versed in heavy metal and hard rock music and stuff, it wasn't unusual for me to um, to really open my ears to certain bands. And when Once Blue came out, um, if I remember correctly, around 95, 96, am I getting that about... That's pretty right. close. Yeah. It, it w- came out in October of 1995. Yeah. So see that was kind of when, at that point in my life I had kind of shifted you know 
heavy metal music had shifted currents. Um, I, I kind of ventured off and was listening to for new things. I got into jam bands, the Dead, Fish, the bands like that. And those bands in particular really broadened my palate. And then I found myself um, head over heels with this local bossa nova band called uh, Sakata Sings. And um, so, so I really kind of found myself delving into this. So when I heard Once Blue, I just remembered thinking like, this is, this is amazing. These are pe- like young people, people my age that are playing this, this kind of music. So like, I was always curious, what was it uh, that swayed you in, into that kind of direction when most of your peers were, you know, wearing flannel and you know screaming and playing loud guitars and stuff. And yet you guys were really kind of embodying this, this, this essence of uh, not really a too, too modern of a jazz, but, it, but it was jazz that was accessible to, to a younger generation, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think that one one of the things you're you're talking about from in my opinion is you're talking about how you're open to music and you're open to the things that move you and it doesn't mean that you or anyone else is, needs to be stuck in a single genre, right, of music and what's authentic and what feels genuine you know can appear in everything in anything. It doesn't mean uh you know, it's only in jazz or in heavy metal or in rap or, but it's across the board, it exists. I mean, I'm not sort of a listener. I don't really um, have, I mean, I, I move a lot towards instrumental music, mm-hmm. but I, um, and I really love the power of great improvisation, but, um, you know, I'll listen to it, to anything. I check out everything that I that I can I, I have sort of a voracious uh, desire to hear um, something that, that hits me as uh, as an authentic expression or visual too or a strategy in you know like I work in water protection for me it's all the same it's just you know looking for those things that resonate and that resonate typically with us with with the public so you know I'm a songwriter and I grew up in Maine and I spent all my time outside you know as a kid up in trees Mm -hmm. and in rivers (laughs) and I think that you know there was a certain you know I was very driven and um, really wanted to make music and knew that I wanted to do it in New York City. No idea really why. And I, you know, from rural Maine, no one left. So I was really just sure I was going to go, and I made my way from Maine to New York, and it was a crazy path that led me to eventually the Bronx and to um, work at MTV Networks and to support myself in production. You know, sorry, I have a beep there but um (laughs) it's all right (laughs) (laughs) but you know i think there's a sense of spaciousness in in me even though i was driven it's sort of both things uh existed of knowing and being clear and pointed and also um having a a a larger capacity for space for interpretation Mm -hmm. 
and for poetry and for harmony. And I've always been attracted to, um, well, great melodies, which is something that I couldn't, I wouldn't, I'm not rather drawn to songs that are monotonous or, I mean, there's, there's many tunes that are beautiful that are simple melodically, but I really like challenging melodies to sing. It's, it's, um, fun. And it, it always helped me to be, um, a more, uh, or a, a more specific kind of singer in thinking about sound and, and, uh, intonation. So that was sort of my, my inclination. And, you know, in a roundabout way, as life sort of goes, I ended up meeting Jesse Harris in New York City. Mm-hmm. And uh, he brought me right into this, this jazz scene that just, uh, and prior to that, I had been thrust into the pop thing where I had a big manager who would send me around to write songs with big pop writers, and <laughs> I did it. But I really wasn't, <clears throat> I wasn't, I felt like I was hitting my head on the ceiling. Like, I didn't feel like I was really getting to what it was I wanted to get to, even though at that age, I was very young, I was 22, 21, and I just didn't know yet what it, what it was that I was seeking, of course, as we don't. So Jesse, Jesse opened my, my um, pointed me in this great direction that just, and his songwriting and the two of us together at the time, that was it, I got on my path. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't as though I was rejecting grunge or anything else that was happening at the time. You know, I was just on the path and searching for, driven by this idea that I didn't know what it was, but I knew I would know when I hit it. And I did, you know, and the music that we made, I think, was an embodiment of our, you know, we didn't have these ideas in mind, such as song structure or, um, you know, we were playing in little clubs in Manhattan. We were so thrilled to be making this music because we knew that we were right in the center of, of our creative pulse like we were right in it and uh the musicians were so great that they had the capacity to pull out more of the harmonic qualities of the song Mm -hmm. which gave us more of a palette and then we really became a tight band which i think was appealing to people who were you know really song fans or folk fans or pop fans it really kind of it was super creative and it had a very open vastness to it but they were songs so they were two or three minutes long and it was something you could actually wrap your mind around and it wasn't unique I mean let's face it there's Joni Mitchell did it with jazz musicians and songs et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. people still do it but I think at the time we were in New York it was just like the start of a new cycle. And I think we, without trying or knowing, we started a kind of a new cycle with this concept. And we were unique beings and, you know, as we all are, <laughs> and and happened to be in New York City at the same time. So it was just all fortuitous, uh, I will say, for myself and my creativity. I just think it's funny because like listening back to the Once Blue album 
today, which is it still blows my mind that yeah that like to me I still think everything was ten years ago. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I know. I'm, well, I'm, I'm for, like I'm for, I'm I'm forty four now, and my wife and I will be together twenty one years. You know, yeah. this year, and I keep thinking like, but like I still think everything was like ten years ago for some reason. And so when I was like, I actually had to get a calculator out and calculate <laughs> how long ago That's this album was, and I could and I was like, wow. I mean, like you know, but I, I remember thinking at the time. When, when hearing Once Blue and even listening to it now is that it holds up just as good if not better than it did when it first came out because uh, you know uh, in, in some ways I feel like you kind of undersell your, <laughs> yourself here a little bit because what I did think was so unique about it was because it's almost like Once Blue to me was kind of a gateway drug to um <laughs> <laughs> to, to 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 jazz. Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. you know, I'm you know, if you give somebody a Love Supreme to listen to that's never heard jazz before, they're probably going to run out of the room screaming and never want to hear another jazz record. You know, but like, you, well, you, and I think that's yes, I understand, and that makes me so happy because um, what you're describing too is what we should always be striving for, which is when we fall in love with something. Where did it come from? What mm-hmm. is in its past? What is it that the musicians that you're hearing that are bringing you closer to something listen to and are inspired by and that journey back is it can be really powerful. And so, you know, it doesn't surprise me simply because of the musicians that we we're playing with, uh, we're just so, you know, they're jazz musicians, even mm-hmm. though it's a broad term, but they would be, uh, you know, they would be categorized as such. And we're coming just out of that world, just getting getting out of school. And we're so creative and such de- dedicated musicians to the craft and to the history of jazz that it was all there, so it, it's implied. And as I said, I think that the accessibility of the music, being these songs, they're three or four minutes long, it mm-hmm. kind of has everything. It has, you know, things that, I mean, I think everything that we kind of crave in good music, <laughs> you know, with their good choruses and bridges and solos and uh, hooky, musical segments you know it made it maybe that's what it was so no i don't undersell it honestly i i just um you know it's a big world out there and i think being a part of um music that inspires people or anything at all that can help to improve someone's life or change someone's life is it's bigger than just a genre isn't it it's a communication tool and it's a way that we can relate our humanness to to one another and find our people. <laughs> That's the bottom line. No, it, it totally so. it, it, it 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 really is because you know I was I was raised. Nobody in my family were were musicians. I, I'm I'm pretty much the uh, first musician that I know of in my lineage that I can think of. But like I said, again, kind of growing up in a very musical family and hearing music, I think one of the things that resonated with me so much with Once Blue was 
especially because at that time I was so drawn in by just the obscurity of bands, you know, like Fish and Blues Traveler and God Street Wine, who was another great New York City band. Um, yeah, th- yeah, things like that where, you know, and God Street Wine more so than any of them was one of those bands that kind of took that experimental jazz approach and mixed it with the kind of jam band rock thing. But when I heard Once Blue, I just remembered thinking like, Oh, like I can, I can, it's like a warm blanket. I can go to sleep with this. I can't tell you how many nights I went to sleep with that album playing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where it was just Thank like, it, it, it really was. And, and it's, it, it's, it's a strong memory and it's a strong connection. And of course, like, I think it was when you and I talked the, for the first time many, a while ago, it's been over 10 years. Um, there was a, 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 I think it was either what was it a, a re-release or it was a European release that was finally put out that had it was all those bonus tracks. Record. It was the second record that never. Well, you know, once blue. I think everybody kind of expected it at the time, which is, I mean, in the business, you know, the business entities. You know, they they put a lot of money into the into the group to try right. to, you know, break the band. And back in that day, that's how it was done, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still done that way a little bit, but it's not, you know, that was really, the DIY route was not as popular as it is now or as necessary. But, um, you know, it was more of a, you work really hard, you put yourself out there, and then you get recognized or you get discovered. That was more of the time period, as I recall. So when we were discovered by uh, David Seegerson of EMI, mm-hmm. there was a lot of, lot of excitement and enthusiasm and money that was invested in the group. Um, and so, geez, I just lost my train of thought. I was just going back into memory lane. <laughs> I love when that what happens. <laughs> I know. What was it? What was the exact question? Where was it? We were talking about. We we're talking about your. Help me out here. Okay, I'm trying. We're talking I, about fish, God Street wine. Oh, oh yeah, and then we were talking about how you guys kind of were like. Um, okay, now now I'm lost because I was so into what right. you were saying, I kind of forgot right what now, I said. Both, <laughs> it's the dreaminess. Of Storytelling. See, see, it, 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 it really, it really, truly is. It really, truly is. You were talking about going to sleep at night, listening to the record, talking about, well, whatever it is. That was a nice, nice thought process because it sort of encumbers or encompasses. Oh, we were talking the about the ex- we, the expanded version. That's what it was about how 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 it how so it the, was the second right. album. That's yes. Right. Okay. Bam, got so it. We actually <laughs> recorded a whole second record in anticipation for a second release right? while we were touring and doing that. And I think everybody just kind of expected the band to continue and to do well, et cetera. But, you know, we had some internal problems and um, with the band, um, which, you know, made it a little challenging we kept going, but then EMI went bankrupt. And so that just, and they dropped everybody. Mm-hmm. 
and um, we had finished the record, but without without a label, we couldn't put it out. And that was the beginning of all the merging, you know, of major labels. Right, right. You know, EMI was the first, so that was the beginning of the end of the the record business as we knew it, really. So we had this unreleased record, and uh, years later, Jesse found, in the same way that I found this one, he found that, and was listening with Kurt, and they were like, this is great, we gotta put this out. And they contacted me, and they had an opportunity in Japan. So they released both records together, the first and the second. So there was something like 20, five or 26 songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the longest, it's like the greatest, longest debut ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that was really, um, you know, I'm very happy to get all the music out, so make it available, rather. Um, So that was wonderful for that to see the light of day, because there's a lot of great music on that second record, and that was with Jeff Ballard on drums that time. Oh, okay. Kurt and Ben were the same, and Jesse and I. And I think we ha- might have had to go back. I don't remember. There might have been a couple of guests, uh, but maybe not. Maybe this was just the just the um, basic tracks of the of the second record. It's too funny because um, I think it was around. Oh my gosh, let me see. I'm trying to think. Maybe it was around 2000 four or so maybe 2005 I can't remember but I saw the Black Crows in Raleigh because I was living in North Carolina at the time my wife was uh, in grad school and Bill was the drummer for the for the Black Crows for a oh, short yeah, time that's right I remember that Bill's been you know really involved in all kinds of interesting you know I don't even know what he's doing now I mean I, I talked <laughs> to Bill recently but I'm not sure who he was playing with Sean Lennon for a while and you know I mean these guys are they're you know it was really exciting you know now that I can look back and I love and I knew it was then just to be surrounded by such energetic committed like I said musicians and you knew that you know everybody was willing to jump into anything that was creative and uh fun in New York City you're surrounded by lots of different opportunities so you know looking everybody has gone on to do so well uh, in their musical uh, collaborations Mm -hmm. Um, it's pretty cool pretty cool it was just so funny because I actually got to meet Bill after that show and and while most people were like all kind of you know clamoring around trying to meet you know Chris and Rich Robinson like I walked up to Bill and I was like you were in Once Blue and he looks at me and he goes who are you do I know you <laughs> like he just and, and we just and he just let out this huge laugh and I was just like no seriously I said I'm a huge Once Blue fan and I said I didn't put two and two together and I was like I was like I was like but they can't be too many Bill Dubro, Dubros or whatever you know and he was just like God he goes he goes I never get pinned for being the drummer for Once Blue <laughs> I, I know never not to mention he really was um... fantastic drummer though. I mean, yeah, fantastic oh, no, drummer. We toured with him a bunch, you know, and we did, we did record the single, the the Save Me single, 
that ended up being the video right was bill but besides that you know the drummers on our recordings were you know either kenny wallison or jeff ballard mm-hmm. well so once once uh, once once blue yeah one after once blue kind of you know like you said you know just kind of fell apart things happened i mean obviously you have had a very extensive you know life in jazz you've record you've i hope my number's right you have six solo albums it's something like that yeah like I because I, I i liked I, i'd like to think i have them all <laughs> because i have bought just about every one of them that you have like you know from okay. middle hope through you know all the way through um through twain the most recent one was twain right that was a, that was solo but i've done two other collaborative projects since then too and you did Tillery also, which had Becca Stevens, who's in now David yeah. Crosby's band, which, uh, yep. yeah, which is, I mean, so... That's what I mean. It's, it's, it's really something to, to see, you know, and with Gretchen Parlato, who is just a beautiful musician. Amazing. Well, and recently with um, Guillermo Klein, who's the Argentinian composer, and he and I collaborated on original music, which... Um, it was really fun because his lyrics are in Spanish, and although I don't speak Spanish, which you know I, is, is a regret, <laughs> what I was able to do is phonically write English lyrics, listening to the sound of the words, and writing a completely different meaning to the song. If you if you laid my lyrics on top of his, or sorry, the the sound of the the words on top of his uh-huh. they'd be identical pretty close just even just in terms of um beats and what have you but it's in english so it's not even a translation it's just the the sort of the flip side of it was a fun experiment the sound of his his lyrics became the english lyrics uh of the tunes that 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 i sang on that record that so. is a fascinating thing because for me being a songwriter myself like I mean and a lyricist like so for you you basically just kind of took the words that he was singing and kind of came up with your own interpretation of what was being sung yeah there was it was um so if he said uh you know if he said uh uh gracias right yeah I would listen to that word and, you know, or phrase of these, of Spanish sounds, and I would use the the sound of that to craft a lyric so that, like I said, if you laid them on top of one another, they would, you know, they would sound the same, but they have totally different meanings. There's no relationship within the meaning. It's just that they're the sound is the same. And, you know, i that's the way I, I, I'm very visual and I'm very, you know, i like my senses are the things that I really rely on in every way. I'm that kind of a person that processes information that way best. So it sounds like a, like a fun, silly concept, but it was really not initially a concept. It's what occurred to me because uh and his melodies are so deep 
and fun. Their their melancholy and their you know they're heavy. There's a heaviness to it, and I'm drawn to it. So that's how I was able to sing them because I couldn't have sang the the uh, Spanish lyric. And you can interpret or tra- you you can interpret the meaning. But you know if you've ever done that where you've taken a language and you've interpreted it into another language, mm-hmm. the meanings never are the same. It's it's actually not. Like one time I worked with a Japanese singer. Her name was Miwa Yoshida. She's in this band called Dreams Come True. And they were the largest pop band in Asia. And she came to New York and set up shop at uh, Electric Ladyland for months and months and months. And the goal was to take the songs in Japanese and take the translation in English and turn them into songs that made sense for an English listening uh, audience. And it was so challenging because the poetry, the Japanese poetry, the, the, it just doesn't work. We don't use that, those, those, those sayings like they, they do. Like we have our own sayings that don't really translate in other languages. Right. Things that we understand, but another culture may not. They'd be like... Um, don't let the door hit you on the way out or something like right. that. <laughs> yeah. We would take that literally in another country, whereas in, in America, we know what that means. So there's a lot of that that happens that makes it very difficult to stand behind and sing. So instead of going through that process, I just decided to listen to the sounds and write lyrics based on that, which is very much what I do with my, my lyric writing with melodies when I find a find a um, progression on guitar and a melody comes I'm just making sounds anyway it's it's kind of just just jumbled you know just a lot of sounds that become words so in a sense I was using Guillermo's this language that I didn't understand as the sounds that mimicked what I do when I write lyrics so it was like that too so it's very natural. So that's really cool because basically it's like you were taking whatever he, whatever it was that he had written, you know, or like what you were listening to lyrically, and interpreting it, interpreting it as if you, like you said, like if they were just notes on the guitar or chords, and just the melody. You were just putting words to it yeah. exactly. Yeah. Now, your own that writing... That my, my favorite, my favorite collaboration to date. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. I can, I can I see that because I can, see the, I can see the challenge in, in, in that, you know? Um, but, like, when well, it comes the music to... music is just so great. I just love his writing so much. And it's like Kurt, Kurt Rosenwinkel. These are Brad Meldow. These are musicians whose music moves me to places that's so... So uh, so unique. I mean, I am so moved by it that what comes from it is my favorite because it's like a, I don't know, the stuff I was writing around Guillermo's tunes mm-hmm. was not stuff I could have ever gotten to with my own. I mean, it was weird, strange stories about prostitution, you know, about uh, ca- train crashes. Just really, it sounds sinister, dark, but it wasn't. It was... Uh, Showing a side of life, another side of life, that, and imagining another side of life that 
my tunes just would never have inspired. So it's just it's just so mysterious, <laughs> you know. Well, so like when writing your own material, because obviously, like I've 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 got my own you know favorite. Rebecca Martin songs uh, Just a Boy was one of my it's, it's probably my top three favorite songs of, th- that you've done because something about that song just musically just, sorry. just a Boy Thank you from, from a, the, Yeah, oh yeah and uh, so see something about that song though just like lyrically, musically everything just kind of resonated so w- when it comes to writing a song say like just that like I, I know you kind of touched on it a little bit um, does the music and the melody generally come first for you and then you build the lyrics yeah. upon that? Yeah, I would say that's that's just the way it's always been that's the way I write I don't feel like I need to change it because to me, the hardest part of being a good songwriter for me and the kind of songs that I love uh, has to do with clarity in Mm -hmm. the world and in yourself and in your work and in your choices and to be, and that to me is, that's the hardest part because when, when there's a clear channel what I can capture is is uh, the best of what I can do. So I don't have to be tricky or clever. I don't need to carry a dictionary around or, you know, um, <laughs> and I don't mind those, that style of writing, but it's not, it's not a natural form of writing. I'm not one of those kinds of songwriters. I don't have to, I'm not trying to... Um, say something that's going to become the world's political anthem or the like it, that's just not the way I work I'm really more of a poet quietly chipping away in my room and as I've gotten older I've really pulled away from I don't mind being public I mean it's fine but I'm not I, I really am just so in, I've always been very intimate mm-hmm. but as I get older, I I really care more about developing and working through, you know, the things that I need to work through and to have my body be totally present. And that, that to me, is way harder than writing, you know, rhymes. <laughs> oh. Than rhyming, rhyming uh, sentences. So that's been my focus, you know, more than changing up the way I write because I have questioned it I do I have I've wondered um what would happen if I mixed it up but Mm -hmm. you know I'm a I'm a Taurus I'm a fixed sign there are just some things that you know I like rice and beans and I write my songs the same (laughs) and (laughs) that's you know it's so funny that you said that because as a songer that's kind of how I am and that's very much like almost kind of a folk 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 type of approach too in a sense because you know i mean not 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 to harken back to once blue too much but obviously no, you I don't my time is that of- you know you know being a you know I, I i was a solo folk singer songwriter for probably 20 years where i just did solo shows played by myself or whatever and you know now i'm gifted with this incredibly talented 
trio that I've been playing with for five years and um, still do the folk music thing. But whenever I hear, um, like whenever I hear the, um, the, like those songs, my first thing is like, there's a folk essence to it. Do you know what I mean? Where like, well, it's great because I feel very much like, you know, if we have to talk about genres again, I, I think of it only in terms of finding people right. who might be be interested in the music, and I don't really care where they are. I mm-hmm. just want to find them. I really just genuinely, my, my true love in music is live performance, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I never have understood how it was that the jazz world would embrace my music, but not the folk world. It's, it's, it's a funny thing, really. Um, and so I, I've never questioned it. I just kind of go wherever I'm asked to go. But mm-hmm. um, it's always been funny. And when I have done some folk things, my sense about, I, I don't know, I think that, that, and I can't really speak to this in great depth, but, I think people's understanding of music has really, uh, because of these these uh, terms that we attach to to music, what people think is folk really isn't, you know, or or maybe that's not fair because jazz continues to grow and evolve. But I just mean what I mean by that is. When I think about American music, right, blues being the essence of jazz, essentially, or or field hollers, or when I think about folk music, and I think about uh, the, the Carter family, or the I, I'm I'm trying to hearken back to to another time mm-hmm. where there's a different understanding where the music is coming out of something, right? And I think we all are doing that to a degree, but it's more it's 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 more it's an interesting time because uh we have we're exposed to so much that i think the music is somewhat in a funny place it's not coming out of a culture at this point it's just i don't know how to encapsulate the thought really but you and i right now at any time can listen to music from all over the world you know i can't say that i had that access 25 years ago Right. Oh, yeah. Neither one of us did. Yeah, exactly. Right. We really had to go somewhere and live it in order to experience it. Like New York City and what you're hearing back at During One's Blue was really coming out of a very specific thing, a scene, you know, uh, people who had to travel to get there and then invest time and energy to absorb what it was that they were living in. And today it's Mm -hmm. like confusing because people are filming every step they take and I feel like the music is coming out of a whole other medium I'm not sure about the communal part of it so much as what it was back I feel like a grandma saying that at this point (laughs) oh are you kidding I tell people all the time I feel like an old curmudgeon half the time because you know because the thing is you can say 25 years ago you were an adult (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's it's really powerful. But I guess to wrap that up, that's just a, a brainstorm. I feel like I'm not being super clear, and I bet what I'm saying could be confused, confusing. But what I mean is that uh, 
you know, heart, circling back to what you were saying about you love heavy metal and jazz and folk and jam bands and, you know, when we get too comfortable with this idea of what music is, like, oh, I just love folk or I just like jazz or I hate jazz or I, you know, hate folk or whatever, mm-hmm. we're really not allowing music to just be and grow and to change. And I think some of my experiences with jazz, too, you know, the audiences have such a strong sense of what they think it is that anything that goes outside of those boundaries can be rejected. And that's, maybe that's the the end game of my thought process is I've had that experience more often with folk than with anything. And I think that's a totally perfect, like, uh, like way to, you actually encapsulated that very well because it took me a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but you know, as someone who, like myself, who, who, who was exposed to, to, to so many different, I mean, you know, like when, when I was younger and I was first getting into heavy metal, you know, it was like, you know, it was heavy metal, you know, and then it was heavy metal and thrash metal and then it was heavy metal and thrash metal and death metal and then it was speed metal and good god now again here we go again with the 25 years later you know there's like 30 genres of heavy metal music and i'm going like like at what point did was there a necessity to to divide everything up and to put a uh, put a tag on it because you know to me well, you know why oh of it's course i know why because because it's, it's just marketing it's marketing yeah. and it's music industry's way you know i i remember a friend of mine told me one time said said, said you can take the crappiest alternative band and create a genre for them and they'll be the best of that genre <laughs> You know what I mean? And so it was like, it, but like, you know, I, I, I'm around people like this sometimes. Like I'm around, you know, metal heads who are just like, you know, you know, total meathead, you know, metal or die. But then at the same time, I'm around these kind of folk people who are folk purists and who look at me and my, and what, how, what my band plays and goes, you're not and folk you know music. I don't want to just pick on folk because oh, yeah, no. this. I mean, there's, there's, you know, the jazz community has that too. It's, it's, you know, what it is. It's probably a very natural occurrence, like, like with everything else. Is things, you know, whatever it was that you heard that you fell in love with, and that you attach yourself to. And as someone who makes music, where people really, no matter what I do, you know, in my career, if you came to me because of once blue chances are that's what you're going to hold fast to you know you might like the other stuff but it was the experience that you had the emotional connection that you had with that music and i think that's beautiful and i think that's that's um i mean i don't think anybody doesn't i think we all have that story and so it makes it easy to understand why some people just hold on to a time period like a hairdo, where you see people 20 years later with the same damn hairdo. <laughs> or the, you know, at the at the Journey concert, that, you know, they're still experiencing their high school. It's just human nature, you know, and I think that the industry capitalizes on that. That's it. Um, the challenge is... is I said, is like being able to change and 
to work with change and to accept change and to embrace it, for lack of a better way of saying, that is the work. That's the work, and everything is a reflection of that, that work. So how you grow and develop and change in your, you, you know, you, you can also have different ideas than you did five minutes ago. I mean, you've got to be willing. You don't have to be, but the goal is, I think, is to be able to protect those things that are precious to you, but to also accept that things are constantly in motion. And, uh, I mean, even aging is a really great example of this. And when we get to this time period, I mean, I think our 40s and 50s are really kind of the golden age. You know, I... You are not lying. I've just told a friend of mine, I said, my 40s have been some of my favorite years, you know? Yeah, like, it's sort of the platform. It's the, uh, you know, the 20s and 30s are, for me, it were really challenging, but important. And now I'm at a point where I'm about to be 50, you know, next year, and I feel like my 40s, you know, the things that I've been doing in my 40s are kind of setting me up for the next couple of decades, if I'm lucky enough to have that. But, um, you know, it's like all of these things that, you know, just aging and how we age and acceptance and, you know, death and or your mortality. <laughs> these are the challenges of life. Everything flows from the, from that place. And mm-hmm. I think circling back to once blue we were so in the moment we were so present we were not thinking about anything but what we were doing it was coming through in the music and i think that's why it holds up too it was so so embodied by just the beauty of the moment and where we were where we were living and that's the lesson i think for me i have that as part of my history and I happen to really believe that 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 experience really hooked me up because I've made music that way for you know the last 25 years um, and no matter who hears it it's totally my own self-expression that I'm happy to contribute See, I to the lo- world See, I, I, I love that. Um, which, by the way, I have really enjoyed this. This has been so great to talk to you again. <laughs> Thank you, Don. Me too. I feel like you're an old, like, an old friend. And, and uh, you know, I, I sensed you were surprised that, um, that I, I don't know, that I recognized you or you were apologetic for the platform name and I'm like what is he talking about Don I've known who you 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 go we go way back I I'm always you know aware when records go out or announcements go out that you have one and uh, uh, we see you on the list and I think you transferred I don't know anyway you're you're someone who who any musician would appreciate that you love music the way you do and you are a beautiful musician and you stay the course. So I appreciate that. I need to hire you as my PR person. Seriously. Like you should write that. For- <laughs> oh, well. 
but matter of fact, I still proudly have my autographed once blue poster that my friend brought to me that said, that says, Don, sorry, we missed you. Hope to see you soon, Rebecca. <laughs> so, That's great. Which, which I'm hoping will happen sooner than later. But like, again, so, so to kind of, again, once again, kind of circle back, you're going to get the obvious question now is that, what are the chances of a once blue reunion? I mean, even if it was just a one-off or like a few dates or something with, with to kind of coincide with this, what I think is a pretty monumental release, you know? Well, thanks, but I would say zero because, you know. <laughs> Crush me right out the gates, girl. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. You know what? There's a lot of love and appreciation you know, we have talked about it before. Mm-hmm. You know, it's come up, it's been brought up. And, you know, initially, Jesse just wasn't in that space. Jesse's gone on to do, you know, uh, other things. He's got other fish that he's been frying. And at this point, where, whereas I was more willing at one point, I'm just not there at this point. I'm so in love with that the music we made and I'm so happy to be able to present the real live performance because there's nothing out there mm-hmm. that that represents it and to find this one that we that we all remember and that we all cherished I think is like a gift that that we have that for ourselves and for our fans but I'm just way beyond that at this point I'm not interested in that music mm-hmm. now I'm interested in you know, I, I'm, I'm an advocate. I've been working to protect water supplies and air quality. I work for Riverkeeper, which is a... Um, I'm very familiar with that. In, yeah. Yeah. I work for Riverkeeper. I've, I have a, my own not-for... Well, beginning of a not-for-profit, but I've been protecting my community for a decade, more, 12 years. Mm-hmm. So I'm an advocate and a musician at this point, and... I am clearing the decks to see what's next musically, and I really just want to move forward, you know, and as Jesse does, as the guys do, I'm sure they would do it, you know, but I'm just in a different place, and Jesse too, you know, and I think that once Blue served its purpose, it really has, and um, and we we're very, very fortunate to have started our lives, our musical lives and on that in that way so you wouldn't want to see it today it's totally you'd rather go see jesse play his his own original music today it's beautiful you know and he challenges himself the way i do still right you know he's always got a different band that he's working with and i'm not touring right now i'm too busy there's so many problems (laughs) with the environment i'm just really focused on that but and raising a son, which is my top priority, um, with my wonderful partner, husband, Larry Grenadier. We've also been married for 21 years. <laughs> oh, like look you. at that. That's, that's, that's <laughs> hilarious. That's great. Well, yeah. Well, well, you know, well, and my mom's with us, and my family is number one, you know, and my work, which is both just advocacy and music, that's you know I feel fulfilled and hopefully my next offering will be something 
that you enjoy. And I hope to get down south again. I probably won't be touring for a number of years, but hopefully I'll get back out there one day. Well, there there's talks of uh, us going to New York at some point because I've never been to New York, so I oh, will God. definitely have to come look you up and have some have some coffee or something. Yes, you do, <laughs> and please do. And you know the the you know there's no way that you can't keep me from music for too long. At some point, you know I'll get the itch and I'll have to get back out there. But for now. You know, we've got all these recordings, and I got to make sure my boy gets everything he needs. So I don't know if you have children, but that's just that really changed everything for me. Oh, I bet. No, we have we have we have a twelve-year-old cat and a six-year-old dog. So those are our kids. Well, but but there the, are life too. You know, it's yeah, so funny. It's like I have it. I'm doing an out-of-town show next week. I, I'm doing a solo show in Macon, and it was so funny because we were having to plan around when I could leave and how early I could leave and how long the dog can be alone. And you know, so it's kind of so like, that's, that's <laughs> the deal. You know, that's the deal. And but, with Charlie, with our son, you know, he's, oh, it's just been my best thing. It's been the greatest, my greatest experience in life is having that boy. And uh, it's such a privilege to be a parent and to take care of my mom. You know, I mean, it's just, uh, mm-hmm. it's just, it's so meaningful. And, uh, I love that because but, I also love the fact that you, you know, so many artists go back to that older time, you know, like, you know, reunite and put out music and right, tour. Right, it's the hairdo. And, well, let's call it the, the hairdo symptom. It totally, like not, it totally <laughs> is the hairdo symptom. It's like, and, 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 and the other thing too is that I think you, you kind of said something that was funny because you, you said you wouldn't want to see Once Blue Now because even though it, I would love to see Once Blue Now, like, you know, sometimes I've seen some of my favorite bands from the past come back and in my mind I go, wow, I, I, I kind of wish that my last vision of you or, or, thought, or, 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 or sound of you would have been 20-something years ago <laughs> because right now it's not doing it for me, you know? And there's always that risk of, like you said, you know, it, it not being what it was mainly because everybody grows and people change, you know? Well, and there's no shame in that. And I think that one of the big parts of growing and the work is being able to stand in your, you know, in your center, in your piece, your two feet on the ground, not leaning forward or leaning back, which is a funny analogy, but mm-hmm. I, I really don't, you know, if you're going to continue, if you're going to have a record that's going to have done well, and then want to continue to have a career after that, you're going to deal with some of that. You're going to deal with people having this impression of you from from when you were. I mean, very few artists escape that. You know, like I, I don't know why Bonnie Raitt comes to mind, but she's someone who has. It doesn't matter. She's so present. Mm-hmm. She's great, right? No matter where she is and what she does. People have their favorite songs, but Bonnie Raitt doesn't have any problem 
just being present in her music and then but but there's few people like that I think so you got to contend with some of that and I think at the end of the day you got to be comfortable with whatever you're doing you know and it doesn't you're not you know it's hard for 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 musicians to um, maybe have to accept that making music really is about it's a teacher right that for Mm -hmm. some of us it's a teacher that working a job is not the end of the world and I I come when I teach I, I work you know I I meet a lot of students who are so confused they're about to graduate they've spent all of this money on a degree in performance and of jazz and they don't know what they're going to do there's no teaching position there's no mm-hmm. and they haven't developed the, their unique sound because they haven't been encouraged to do that they've been scatting or they've been doing you know chorus groups or whatever but the school for whatever reason has not really developed uh, a confidence to just help the student to hear who they are no matter what who cares you, you if you're not going to be like whoever it is you have in your mind you're not going to have a career like so so and so to try to to emulate someone else and think that that's going to be your path is foolish it's not so you got nothing to lose but to otherwise find your sound and find the music that's authentic to you nothing to lose you know, and when I get to work with students on that, it's so it's so much better, anyhow. Mm-hmm. But it's okay to to you know to do other things in life too. It's it doesn't mean your dream isn't coming true. It's like this American dream thing is so devastating. I think to individual, you know, individual creativity. You've got this idea. Talk about rigid that music has to bring you, and this was my experience, that it had to do a certain thing for you. And if it didn't, then you failed, you know? Oh, gosh. And, I mean, I, you know, it's, I, I tell people all the time, I said, you know, I, said, I feel like, you know, I started playing music when I was 12. I'm 44 now. I went through the whole, like, this is going to be my life phase. I'm going to make it. I'm going to do it, whatever. I have I I feel like my musical life and my enjoyment of music truly started the day I said I'm going to stop trying to make this a lucrative thing and I'm just going to be myself and be an artist and you know what like right. I I worked day jobs over the years I done I did other things over the years but I've made some of what I consider to be some of my best music and some of my favorite music when by just just being a musician, not having delusions of grandeur and not saying, I'm going to be this and I'm going to be that. You know what I mean? Well, and I'll I th- tell you what. I would never want to dash someone's dreams. And, I, and I'm not... What I'm, what I'm trying to express is that I... What I think is really important is for people to find their unique sound and not to feel, you know, we listen to things and we, we, um, we, I mean, for a long time, there were certain musicians that I sounded like because I was so in love with them. And that was how I developed my sound was by copying other things that I loved. 
didn't get through that right. my way. And I think that when I do meet young people who have those kinds of dreams, I remember. You know, and I, I'm always mindful of that, and I never want to crush those things. I think that's a disservice, too. But I think supporting people to find, to make music part of their lives mm-hmm. instead of, like, a means to an end is a healthy tool. Like, And I'm glad that, you know, I can say to what what you just said, I can also say is that, you know, I... I make music at the highest level that I can, that I'm proud of, and I also have a great job that I love. Right. You know, I love both of these things. You know, it's not, I think we just have to, see, and I have a family, and I'm a mom. You know, it's like we can do a lot of different things in life, you know, and save ourselves a lot of grief by <laughs> exactly. being flexible, being flexible. You know, and seeing, because the more authentic you are, you never know who 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 knows who's going to, you know, resonate with the public like that. That's not something you can plan out. It's not something you could ever know. Right. It'd be you. Yeah, and so, just being yourself as a musician and making the music the best music that you possibly can. You, you don't have to, and and I think you're right. I I, I love that. That's a, a, a lesson that can be handed down to people is that you know just because you're not out on the road and doing a hundred shows a year or whatever you're you're no less a musician and you're no failure to it than anyone else make music on your own terms you know and enjoy it and do and enjoy it and that you know and that's um that's wisdom of the ages you know and and i Love that you know. As I said at the beginning, it, drive is is an important thing, and some of some people really have a strong one, and there's a reason for it, right? They gotta, they're driven for a reason to do certain things in a certain way. So, but I do, I do, I have to admit, disdain this idea that the world is your oyster, you know, and. Uh, that the American dream is is for everyone. You know, these are these are just to me. I hate them because it's it's um I don't know. It just it it really isn't that way for everyone. It depends on so many things, and I think we'd be so much better off if we just had simpler. We we accepted our humanness and our communities and our families, and also we could be great at the things that we do we don't have to have mansions and cars and all this crap to be happy with you know our existence you know and we grew up right in the heart of it the 1980s jesus it's just uh, we did i mean we we grew up in a time where where we looked at we looked at you know you know uh, i you know i mean i'm sure you did as well is that you know you know people our age measure, measured success by looking at other artists and going wow look at the how many cars they have and look at the size of their house where now at my age i go who cleans that house it's so yeah. big because <laughs> I, I i'm the house husband here you know and i do all, I, I do the house cleaning and i do the laundry and stuff and i'm like shit like i have enough going on with the house that i have. 
God, I love that. You know, and I'll tell you, being driven, there was nothing my parents could have done. I was going to New York, and I knew it very young, and you know, and I think I was 16 when I knew it for sure, mm-hmm. and I did it. But, um, you know, being encouraged to go, 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 you know, really left a mark on our communities. I mean, where I grew up now, it's just, there's no community left. I mean, people are gone, and what's left is really very hard, and, you know, the community is being exploited by corporations, water companies, and when there's no one watching the house, you know, this is what can happen, and so the transience of go and, you know, follow your dreams Really, there, there's, there's, the, there's the dark side of that, too. So finding the balance, because it's really great to find your unique voice, and I am all for it. But within balance of, like, you know, the responsibility we have in the world, too, mm-hmm. to being good human beings. <laughs> really, we can't just think about ourselves, it's, and especially at this point. There's no, we don't really have time anymore to do that. It's not, I don't think we have the the resources to continue to do that. So it's a, it's a new challenge for humans, I think, young people who are, who are artists. And uh, I hope they all find wonderful mentors to help them through. So. Well, Rebecca, you are definitely, without a doubt, one of them. I can totally tell. And I'm so glad you took time out of your busy schedule saving the world and forming, <laughs> in, like molding musicians to talk with me today. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm very happy to. And I hope that today I find some new people to check out the Once Blue CD. I think it's, and to, to follow the path to to where Jesse and I are today. Well, uh, thanks again so much for doing this and the word will be spread and um, best of luck with everything and uh, let's obviously keep in touch. Thanks, Don. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it, Rebecca. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, anyway, but a friend 